Chris Hahn here on the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We don't just talk about progressive politics. We tell you how to win because that's what being an aggressive progressive is. Check us out every Tuesday. New episodes on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss a week. The Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. You are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the OG bad boys of Bigfoot, the Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology, the Chip and Dale of Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple, Biff Clobo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo Fay. Hello, Cliff. Hello, Bobo. How are you doing today? Excellent. How are you? Not so bad. Not so bad. It is dumping rain outside off and on, freezing cold. Um, I'm sitting upstairs at the museum, had an enjoyable day, getting some new displays going. Had some Bigfoot activity this past week near the property and then on the property. That's kind of exciting. So yeah, things are happening. Things are good, man. But first off, it's not freezing outside and raining. Either it's freezing and snowing or it's raining and cold. That, okay, technically, you're you're, you're absolutely correct. Um, however, when I went outside to go to my car and it was dumping rain on me, I was freezing. <laughs> it's more of a subjective thing. I was just busting balls. What's this? You had Squatch activity. I didn't hear about this. Quite possibly, yeah. Sunday, um, uh, my staff here at the NABC, uh, three of them, I wasn't there at the time, they went out to a private property that we've been frequenting and working on lately, and uh, they, they're ch- changing out some cameras and batteries and things like that. And it was early, too, like 7, 7.30, 8 or something. Um, we call this place The Willows. So uh, any of our NABC uh, members out there listening, you can go back and read the blog posts that we wrote and look at the photographs from The Willows. This is the area. And... Um, they were they were going off trail walk. It's a big property, hundreds of acres, right? Hundreds and hundreds of acres, really, really big area. And uh, they were walking off trail, and uh, they heard at first they, what they thought was a Sasquatch, but it wasn't. They all laughed because it turned out to be an ambulance driving by, and they tracked it. The, they know for sure it was an ambulance, and they all kind of laughed or whatever because it you know took them off guard. Um, that's probably happened to you before, I'm assuming, Bobes, right? But so then they stop, and just just for like poops and giggles, um, Connor let out a, ho- a holler like or whatever. And one called back, actually two called back, a high pitch sort of thing. They said it was like, it sounded like the one that I do on the, on the TV show. But then the, and as I, I was thinking, okay, maybe coyote, maybe not, who knows. But then they said, and then the other one happened. And they said it was like a long yell, but at the end of the yell, it went down and went like, those are the best. Oh, those are, yeah, because what else could it possibly be? So they called me. It's it like 7 or 8 o'clock at night. I'd finished eating dinner. I was hanging out with Melissa. And I go, oh, got to go, sweetie. So I hopped in the car, grabbed a couple things with Therm and stuff. And I, I walked around the property with them. We split up. We were like individually spaced a few hundred yards apart, walking this property for the next maybe hour or two. Didn't see or hear anything. Okay, w- went back home. Didn't think much of it. But the next day, you know, I don't live that far. I live just a handful of miles away from this place. Um, and uh, Melissa often goes to bed early. You know, I'm kind of a night owl. I, I keep um, Bigfooter slash musician hours. Um, and so it's like a little after midnight. And I was going to go on the back porch and take a leak, like on the grass, by the way. So, you know, you've been to my house, Bobes, but the vast majority of our listeners have not. Um, the world is my toilet, right? So I go out in the back porch and then I go out on the grass. But like, then I take a leak. That, like I said, the world's my toilet. So um, I, I open the sliding glass door and I flip the light on inside the house to illuminate the the patio because it was raining and I don't want to slip and I'm getting old and all that sort of stuff. So and by the time I'm halfway across the deck on the top of the hill behind my house, I hear, <sighs> and I went no, and I stopped for a second. I think. Maybe I, I'm gonna stand here. Maybe that was the rain because it was raining pretty good, and water can play tricks on your ears and stuff. And then another one. I said, "Oh, rad!" So I go over and I take care of business. I take a leak, and um, and I stand out there for two or three minutes, maybe. And in that two or three minute span of time, I heard five of those until one. At one point, you know, nothing had happened for a minute or you know, forty five seconds or a minute. I go, huh. 
I guess I'll come back inside because what else are you going to do? And it was far enough away. I'm not, you know, you've been to my house. You can't go through that stuff uphill to go find this thing. And even if it was a lot closer, you know, what are you going to do? Um, so I was just hoping it would come closer to the, to the house and, you know, step in the garden or wake us up. That's happened before. The thing yelled outside our window one time. Or um, We've deployed the rubber chickens. I love saying that. We have some rubber chicken squeaky toys in the trees on the top of my property. So kind of waiting to hear one of those squeaking in the middle of the night. Yeah, those has been done to work. Yeah, yeah. Like a couple researchers that I know and trust. Um, Mike Green is one of them. He had squeaky toys stolen uh, before he got the squeaky footage. That's why his footage from North Carolina is called the squeaky footage because he was having some luck with squeaky toys. And Tom Shade told me about a recent event out there. So I said, yeah, let's try it, man. So I put a couple of rubber chickens in, in trees because I think they're funny. And um, But I, I bet you I won't think it's funny at three in the morning when I hear <laughs> outside my window. Right. Well, I might. Melissa won't. <laughs> That'd be so creepy. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but it's been a little while since I've heard anything that might be Sasquatch related at my property here. So it's, it was kind of a, it's kind of nice. And, um, and again, my members, the museum members are going to know this because they've seen the pictures. They've read the blogs that we post about the location at the Willows. But March is the month. There was a sighting in March in 2019 and 2020, two years running. Um, last year we had some weird things happen, but no sightings. And here it is. Today is March 3rd. So that was just a couple of days ago. They might be a little early, but anyway, Bigfoot stuff. There's always something happening, man. Always something happening. I'm still down here in Long Beach. So yeah, no Bigfoot stuff happening in Long Beach. That's why I left. Yeah. A lot of other things happen in Long Beach. A lovely town. Love it. Great music scene, great people, good food, lovely weather every day. If you're into perfection every day, it's a good place to be. Yeah, it was hit 80 a couple times this week. Uh, oh too gosh. hot for me. It's, it's supposed to rain tonight for the first time in two months. No kidding. Rain. Well, they said probably. It might be a light sprinkle or a slight mist. <laughs> right. Yeah. Southern California has a lot of cool things, but um, uh, diversity in weather is not one of them. No. No. <laughs> so what do you got lined up for today, Cliff? I have something fantastic lined up for today. Um, you know this guy. I know this guy. I consider him a very, very good friend of mine. I, um, I've known him for years, met him through Bigfoot and stuff. Uh, but people out there don't know him, and they are going to continue not knowing him um, because he's a very, very private individual. And he also has Sasquatches on his property. He has uh, had a couple glimpses of these things. His wife has had a number of really interesting observations, and even his daughter has had uh, observations. And we think it's a fantastic study site um, where people are continuing to live and document things and are interested in the Bigfoot deal. So we have a long-term witness with us tonight. Um, uh, Michael um, is going to be with us. He's a long-term witness somewhere in the state of Washington. And uh, Michael, welcome to Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and the Bobes. Yeah, Michael, it's you. Hey, right on. <laughs> it's great to hear you guys. Awesome. Great to be on the show. You're here to talk about some of the amazing events that have happened on your property. Um, so why don't why don't we rewind a little bit and start with when you moved in, or maybe even before that, um, why you chose this location to live, and then the consequences of choosing this location. Yeah, we were needed to leave California for business reasons. It was just getting too small business unfriendly down in California, so we moved up here in 2011. And we wanted something kind of remote, something that wasn't, you know, like in the middle of a big heavy metropolitan area and, you know, being in the middle of the forest, you know, who, everybody's dream would be to have a beautiful cabin in the forest. So we, we kind of found that and we got a little more than we bargained for. And it's, it was kind of unwelcome at first, you know, when we first had something happen, you know, I was ready to just put the house up on the market and get the hell out of here. But good guys like David Ellis talked me down and said, oh, no, no, this is really great. This is great stuff, you know, and convince me to stay your place is so uh, it's my dream place it's i mean it's conveniently located but you're by yourself into the road beautiful beautiful house you got for a steal and i mean and it came with bigfoot so it's the it's just unreal yeah it should be on the disclosure form just like if anybody died in the home or it was a meth lab it should say if there was a bigfoot on the property it should be in the real estate disclosures when you buy Absolutely. It will be when they're, when they're classified, it will be definitely for California. At least you got to list all that stuff. Whenever I look at real estate listings and I see like abundant wildlife, I assume they're talking about Sasquatches. Yeah. 
thinking positive. Yeah, because yeah, they're not going to they're going to list Bigfoot, but they might say abundant wildlife, especially if they're problematic. So, what was the first indication um, that that there was something weird happening on the property there, Michael? Well, the first thing that happened, we had no idea could possibly be Sasquatch related. We had zero clue. But the second night we were here, um, my wife woke up to something striking the bedroom wall right behind the headboard of the bed extremely hard so much that she popped out of bed and landed on the floor you know like how somebody can jump out of their shoes when they're scared and that happened the second night we were here and then a couple of nights later um, I went to one end of the house after I turned off the lights for the night and I went to get something out of the living room and something hit the wall of the house and I didn't know what to think I mean, I, I, my mind raced from everything of a, of a deer striking the house, fleeing a cougar to maybe it was blue ice discharge out of a, a jet on its way to SeaTac. You know, I had no idea. But whatever it was, it scared me so much that I went running to the far end of the house and got my rifle and came back and turned on the outside lights. And I, of course, I didn't see anything by that point, but it was quite startling. But I did not have any idea it was Sasquatch at that point until December of that year when our employee that we had on the property actually had a visual sighting and the Olympic project came and took the report and they asked if anything unusual had ever happened. And that's the only thing I could think of. And they gave this knowing nod and smile amongst each other. And we're like, what are you guys smiling about? And that's when we found out that it's kind of common for them to do that. And it wasn't well known. Like, I don't think it was ever mentioned on a TV show before then, but people talk about house slaps now all the time. But Back in 2011, you could scarcely hear anything talked about. Yeah, you guys were on a TV show with Derek Randall's on, what, Destination America? Yeah, yeah, just really briefly, we were in the opening. It was it was kind of a fun experience. It was when Derek told his story about getting uh, rocks thrown at him and some hiking buddies up here in the Olympics. So your employee, what was, uh, he's a gardener, if I remember right. Um, and w- tell us a little bit about his account. And then we want to get to like your actual immediate family after that and the, the things that you've experienced over the year and the variety of things you've experienced. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, well, he was working on a, um, a keystone block retaining wall because we live on a rather steep hill. And that's why we have such a great view is that the hillside is so steep. And he kept hearing something all week, something rather large moving up the creek, up slope, just beyond where he was working. And it was frightening him enough, you know, the sound of whatever big it was moving that he was convinced it was going to be a bear or a cougar. And he requested, um, if it was possible, he could keep a rifle with him while he worked. And I said, sure, I don't have any problem with that. I said, but if you hear it, you know, go shoulder it up and, you know, look down the sights and get a look at what's making the sound so you can demystify it and just see if it's a an elk or a deer or something. And he said that he would. And we went into town for some errands and came back. We had forgotten something. And he was all in a tizzy and was talking 100 miles an hour. And he said, I saw one. I saw one. And I said, I saw what? He says, I saw a Bigfoot. And we just, I immediately dropped everything I was doing, forgot about going back into town. And I ran and got my rifle because, you know, that's something huge and unexplained, you know, I, I, I want to be protected. I didn't know. I, I really don't think I would have shot it, but I went down to where he saw it and I descended down the hill and I just became overcome with fear. Like, hold it. I can actually feel this thing walking. I could, cause I was, the hillside was so steep. I was half laid against the, the hillside with my back sliding down this extremely steep slope. And I could feel something thumping the ground, walking away. And it just was, if I can feel something walking away, it's that big. I don't want anything to do with getting closer to it. And that was it for me. So went back up to the house, but he had a, a fantastic view of it. When got him to explain exactly what happened, he'd heard something. So he'd crept up to the edge, shouldered his rifle, and he just had a, a red dot non-magnified um, sight on it and looked over the side and the the field of view was completely filled with its face. It was only about 30 feet downslope from him. And he just stared at it for, you know, what he said felt like forever. It was probably 30 seconds. And then he looked slightly to the side and looked down and saw the shoulder and the length of the arm and just became overcome with fear and ran up to the house and was pounding on the door and begging our teenage daughter, who since moved out, to let him in the house immediately because <laughs> he was terrified. 
Yeah, I, I heard one when I was camping, right where he saw it. I was camping on that little flat there, and it was definitely one that walked up there. When I didn't see it, but it, it came right up and breathed pretty hard. And when I met your worker, when he was working down that same spot, and this was years later, he had a big AK-47 with a 30-round banana clip in it. Like, he's like, and he would not, it would, he would not be more than five feet from that rifle the whole time he was working. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, and when you heard it, uh, you had Murphy's Law strike. Uh, you had uh, freshly loaded batteries in your FLIR unit, and it wouldn't fire up all of a sudden, and you're yelling for Flippy, and, and he couldn't hear you. That might be Bobo's Law, to be fair. <laughs> well, you did name your, your Bigfoot replica Murphy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All equipment stuff seems to go wrong. Well, I just want to give credit where credit is due, as far as bad luck goes. So. <laughs> Yeah, Bobo's the luckiest guy I know. Unfortunately, luck flows in two flavors, good and bad, you know? Oh, I didn't want to interrupt your flow, though, on, on your uh, history of your encounters. Yeah, so after after your gardener saw one, um, how long, I mean, so, okay, so there must have been a huge paradigm shift in the family there. It's like, holy crap, they're real. What do we do about this? And how long did it take for the next event to happen? Uh, the next, that happened, that sighting of his happened December 23rd, 2011. And the next sighting um, my wife had, January 14th, um, the next month, uh, it was our first snow that we had. We moved to the property. We woke up to softly falling snow, and it was just that beautiful quiet that you get when the snow is just falling all around you real peacefully, you know, no wind. And she walked off into the snow to just take a walk around the property and enjoy it because it was there was already a foot down everywhere. And I saw her go out there, and I'm like, oh, she's leaving me behind. And I quit put on a robe and some boots real quick and went out there. And just before I caught up to her, she comes walking back very quickly with this horrified look on her face. And I said, what, what? And she said, I just saw it. And she pointed where she had seen it. And I ran over there and saw where she was pointing. And it was, it was pretty close. It was probably 60 feet, 65 feet. And it just kind of leaned out from behind a tree. And she got a nice, good silhouette of it because the rising sun at like 8.30 yeah, in, the, in the winter was right behind where it was. And then it just moved away. That's, kind of, that's cool, but at the time, it had to be horrifying. Yeah, and what did she think of it? What, what, did, what did she think about this? She thought, she, well, she's quite the nature lover. She thought it was really awesome. I mean, this isn't something that you ever imagine you're going to see. You can't plan to see it. I mean, nobody can say, hey, I'm going to go see a Bigfoot today. So it just happens, and it always takes you by surprise, you know. So I guess she just has a better way of dealing with it than Jeff. Jeff was overcome with fear, and she was more in awe and, you know, kind of awestruck. And so now it's leaving me kind of out because I'm the one who always kind of had an interest in this because of the family history with it, there being a sighting in the family back in 1955. So for it, for those two to see it and not me, I felt really left out. And then I continued to feel left out when for six years before I finally had my brief little glimpse of it. So during that six year period, how many other sightings had happened on or very close to your property? And you can, you can count the shadows running past the window. I, I count those as sightings, by the way. Yeah. If we count those, it would be, it would be a d dozens. It just happens a lot. Um, but it's not predictable. And before you saw one, so all these people are, are you know, are, are are winning, winning the gambling game, and you're not getting anything. Yeah, house guests, temporary workers, you know, everybody in the family except me. You know, that's where when when we had RPG on, RPG told the story about when he got lost trying to meet me for a barbecue. That was Michael's house, and it was less than a mile away. Where him and Talking Baby heard that two giant, super giant one, and then another one walk away. And then, and when Michael describes what he saw, when you Remember what RPG described, how big this thing was walking, like the sound of it in the ground shaking, and how far the steps were. And when Michael describes what he saw being less than a mile from where RPG had his experience, I think it was the same one. You know, I heard the RPG show, and I started to wonder, am I the musician RPG was talking about? And Because the way it described how he couldn't find the house and he just kept going up the mountain, I'm like, that happens all the time when people try to come here. Oh, that's cool. I had no idea. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. So tell us what you saw. Oh, what I finally saw? Uh, it was uh, April 2nd, 2017. So we're like a month away from the anniversary of it coming up again. 
and I was totally unprepared. I didn't have a phone on me, nothing. I had just gone outside to feed the cat and uh, saw that we had had like kind of a windstorm the night before and had blown down a bunch of flower pots from that were stacked up behind the garage and kind of scattered them down a hill that was covered in ferns into the alder part of the forest where there's no leaves um, in early April. So it's just all barren trees. And I was just picking my way down, stacking pots inside each other to bring them back up. And I heard something snap on a low rise about 80 yards uh, directly east of me. And I snapped my head very quickly right at where the sound came from, just in time to see something just huge take a step between two trees or finish taking a step. I guess the lead step is what broke the the dry rot uh, branch that was on the ground under the ferns that it didn't see either. So when it snapped that, I, I turned my head fast enough to see the, the tra- trailing step catch up with the, the lead step, and then it just stood still behind a cedar. There was two cedars right there, the only cover in the whole area, in this whole barren uh, zone where it's mostly alders. And I just, my first thought was, what the hell is a giant dude in a ghillie suit doing hunting on my property this early in the morning? You know, like I, my first thought, it was somebody in a ghillie suit. It wasn't Bigfoot. And then it, it slowly dawned on me the distance I was looking and how big it was and how it wasn't moving anymore. I was just like, oh, hold it. This this couldn't even be somebody not that big. And I started to take a few steps after a couple of minutes. I wanted to kind of uh, try to flank it and just try to get a better view, maybe get a, around the hill enough so that I could see behind the tree if it was just going to remain stationary. And as soon as I took three or four steps, the trees went from being kind of like an open little pass where I could see through 80 yards of trees right at it to being totally occlusive wall of tree. So I lost sight of it and I ran back to where I originally was and it was gone. Then Ron Moorhead, but Ron Moorhead came by the, of Sierra Sounds fame and he did a, a size comparison for you. Yeah, yeah, he was he was visiting his uh, brand new grandbaby that had just been born and came back and he was there within 30 minutes of my sighting and I walked him to where I had seen it and stood him there and then I went back and took a picture of him and he took a picture of me and I had him right where it was and where its hip socket rotated where I saw the trailing leg pick up and rotate forward at the hip um that was exactly even with his clavicle notch at the base of his neck which is roughly five feet off the ground so its leg was five feet long from hip socket to ground and all the sightings from the one that our worker had seen to the one my wife had seen multiple times every time i've asked them where was its head because they they never saw the whole body they only saw the upper half or just the shoulders and head and they'd tell me where it was and i'd mark it And when i get to where it was i put a tape measure up and try to get height on it and it's consistently like nine foot seven, nine foot eight every single time, including my sighting. So it's the same one um, over the course of you know all these years. And how many do you think you have around? Judging by the, the this is the one that we see at night um, is maybe seven feet. The one that ran past the windows and stood up behind an outdoor table set that was, you know, outside the, the TV room. When I shut off the lights, I saw something stand up and then squat right back down. That one, just judging by that, there's got to be two. But I, I highly doubt that, you know, an old male and a young male would move around as a family group without a mother or, you know, a, a family group like, you know, all greater primates would travel in. So, and judging by also some of the sounds we've heard where it sounds like children playing in a deep, dark part of the woods where I know there's no children, um, would lead me to believe that it's a family unit with all different ages. And this is just assumption, but, you know, it's just, it's a good guess. Yeah. Now, are they all the same color uh, where you are, or is there a way to differentiate them by that? If you, if you had a chance to see one under light or during the day or something, are there, is there any information on that? Well, the one that I had seen... It was in a. It was an overcast day, and the sun was uh, just almost noon. So it was perfectly flatly illuminated, no harsh shadows, but it wasn't backlit, and it just was so flat black. It wasn't shiny like a bear, like like oily fur. It was not shiny at all. It was so dull. That's why I thought it was like a ghillie suit because they can spray paint those matte black, all that the tied string, real ghillie suits. So it was just flat black, and it perfectly blended in with the look of a. 
the shadows in a forest where you just see the darkness between trees as you're walking in the forest during the day. It was just exactly that color. And our worker had seen that it was that color also. And my wife, it was just dark, not inky black, but not brown and not red. Okay. So you have at least two, like a real big one and then a seven and a half ish or something like that. Um, Is there one that's seen more often than the other? Well, the daytime one, because we're outside more at day, um, my wife has had three daytime sightings, and then I had my one, and then my, my daughter had two, one at three years old and one at four years old, that were quite compelling and really shocking. You know, when, when, she, when it happened, I was like, what? You're like, she's seeing it before I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, now, at her being so young, you guys didn't prep her. Like, hey, there's giant hair-covered men-like things running around the, the prop. You clearly didn't do that. It would scare the hell out of her. No, we were very pointed to never say the word Bigfoot, Sasquatch, talk about it around her. We don't have any illustrations or book covers out. We didn't want her to be afraid of nature. And then after she saw it, you know, we had a little bit of explaining to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell us about that, that event, like that day when she saw it and how that unfolded. That one, uh, the first time was, it was about nine in the morning and I I had already been up and it was a cold kind of dewy wet morning. And I had already, I put on my puffy jacket with a hood and gone down and fed the chickens and, you know, let them out of their coop and collected eggs and everything and come back up to the house. And then I was just sitting quietly in the office, you know, reading online and my wife got up and had her coffee and my daughter was playing on her and like standing on her lap on this big overstuffed chair that she was sitting on. And I hear my daughter say, where's daddy going? And she jumps down off the chair and I, I hear her run to the sliding glass door, you know, directly away from where I really am. And I hear her slapping on the glass with her hand, you know, bang, 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 daddy. And then she screams and she runs back towards my wife and she's saying, not daddy, monkey man. And that, at that point, I'm up off out of the desk and I'm running out there. What'd you see? What'd you see? <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was, you know, and she was terrified. I mean, her face was flushed and she was really scared. So I went, I immediately went outside when my wife said, you know, which way she was facing and everything. And I, and I get outside and, and she runs to the door and she starts hitting the glass saying, daddy, don't go out there. Don't get hurt. Like, and she'd never worried about me going outside before. So whatever it was, that scared her, but just by its appearance, she was afraid it was going to hurt me. So I went back and I opened the door and I picked her up and I said, no, no, it's okay. I'm not, I'm not going far. Just show me where it was. And we walked to the edge of our concrete patio and she pointed and it was right in the tall grass that I hadn't walked in that leads down to where the chickens are. There was massive impressions in the tall grass. The, the, the wild grass was about two and a half, three feet high at that point. And it was matted down in these big steps coming up from that area and then down into the creek. So what she thought was me was probably seeing it from behind as it was turning to go towards the creek, you know, a pointed head and black. That would be like daddy wearing his puffy jacket with the hood pulled up. And then she slaps on the window and it turns around and she screams, not daddy monkey man. So it just all made sense. That hillside's like a cliff too. I mean, it's it's steep and rugged. It's gnarly. Yeah, it's it's so it's almost impassable for people. I mean, you really have to make an effort to do anything on that thing. And just think of all the times if if, if it hadn't stepped on that stick, or if Rebecca hadn't been looking, just think of all the times that they've even that close and just didn't realize it. Oh yeah, and if we spent more time outdoors, you know, because a lot of times it's just too cold or too wet. You know, if we spent as much time outdoors as like the natives did when they were in this area, we probably have just as many encounters. You got that cool story about the um, the writer that told you that, or you read that story. Did you, if he told you, or you read it about back in the days with the natives with the canoes down there? Yeah, uh, he's a fishing guide out here on the Olympic Peninsula, and he wrote it up in one of his books. But I heard him talk about it at a speech that he gave at a library, and when he he was talking about it, it was uh, the area just pinpointed exactly where we're at. And I talked to him afterwards and it, it's, it's really, yeah, it is very compelling. And, uh, so the story goes, uh, two or 300 years ago, the natives would paddle their canoes to the foot of a, a very small bay. And that when the tide goes out, it goes out really far cause it's very shallow, the last half of it. And then they, they'd 
leave the children in the canoes and collect shellfish on the way out uh, following the tide and then return you know, to the boats as the tide came back in and returned back to the village with all the fish or the shellfish. And they had gotten all out there and they heard a scream and the kids were screaming and they looked and there was a female Sasquatch or Siatko as they call them out here, carrying one of the small children off into the forest. And the adults could not get back to shore fast enough to interfere, but they did get back to the canoes and then go get a war party and the story goes it took them a full day of tracking and coordinating to uh, pin it in. And when they did, the child was deceased at that point, I guess, and partially consumed, and they, they killed the uh, Sasquatch. And it's it's not one of their myths. It's it's considered a historical um, story. It's not a, a, a tale for to teach a lesson. It's a real historical event. Did you say it killed the Sasquatch? Yeah, they the, the Indians killed it. Oh, they tracked it and got it? Yeah, it took them 20, a full day to do so. Yeah, if I may, just interject that uh, um, like once again, Sasquatches are not your forest friends, man. Th- th- these, are, these are wild animals and the scariest kind of wild animal, human wild animals, hu- human-like wild animals. They, they're just like chimpanzees in Africa uh, in times of duress or starvation. They, I don't think, are above eating anything. Yeah, a lot of people didn't understand why after just a couple of sightings on the property, I still hadn't seen it, but I just stopped going outside at night. Like I rushed to feed the cats in the winter before it got dark, and that meant feeding them by four and running back in the house. Um, but if somebody had told me there's a there's a pissed off chimp on the loose, I wouldn't be outside. I'd be inside behind locked doors, and this thing is way bigger than a chimp, way more powerful. Now, one of my favorite uh, little antidotes, uh, uh, anecdotes of um, uh, you moving into that spot is when the previous owner dropped by, um, just if, I guess maybe a few months, you correct me if I'm wrong, or added the story when you get the, and, and asked you about how everything's going. Yeah, that was kind of funny because he built the house. You know, he was the one who developed the property and built the house. And our nearest neighbors is his daughter and son-in-law and their three kids. And the next neighbor down the hill is his brother. So it was a real family venture out here on this hill. He said, so how's everything going? And my wife looked at him and said, you have some explaining to do. And he kind of laughed and he said, oh, like what? And she says, oh, I don't know, things beating on the house, you know, giant hair covered things moving around in the forest. And he goes, oh, that. And then he opened up and had a lot of things to share about <clears throat> where they were at what times and where he'd seen tracks and trails. And he even found bedding site, you know, way up the creek. So he had a lot to say about it after the, the sale of the house was complete and we were already moved in. <laughs> I wish he would have <laughs> shared a little bit beforehand. I'm so glad he didn't. Well, you guys lowballed it so hard. He didn't want to give you any pointers. Hey, the housing market had collapsed. It wasn't our fault. Oh, and I love this question because, you know, I, I consider you a very good friend and I try to catch up with you whenever I can. And my favorite question to ask you whenever I speak to you, and this is nonlinear and I apologize about that. So what's the last thing that happened? Because you always have something cool going on and it's like, oh yeah, like last week or two nights ago or yeah, earlier in the month, there's always something going on. So what do you have now? Because I'm going to ask you that. I've been indoors a lot, you know, with this this health concern. So I haven't really been outside too much, but the last thing was um, my wife heard something just out of the range of the light in the carport when she went into town and came home kind of late from the store before the the clocks had changed. And she was pretty convinced what it was. And it was, there was kind of like a low chuff, you know, like the type sound. And that was just the last thing. It wasn't that big of a thing, but it was like, oh, you know, that, I mean, it could be bear, but with our experiences here, we've actually never seen a bear on the property. We've never gotten a picture of a bear on a, on a trail cam. You know, that, that brings up an interesting point and something that I, I find so interesting about your house um, is that once you figured out what was going on, you started trying to prepare yourself for this in some sort of ways. Like, I, I think that if I remember right, you have some sort of sensor on all four sides of your home. So you can tell where, where something is moving because it rings a certain chime. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, I actually had uh, 16 sensors all laid out in a circle around the, the entire livable area of the property, not in the woods, but right at the wood line. And each zone plays a different sound, and it only is triggered not by motion, but by body heat. 
So a vehicle would set it off if it was part pointed at the driveway, but it would take something having normal body heat to set it off. And it's a system called guard line. And so I have those so we can kind of track where something is outside. Like you could walk a circle around my house and it'll play all these different little tones as you walk in a circle. Cool. It's like a kinetic sculpture. It's a sculpture of music or something. Um, very artistic of you. Um, now, also, you have motion sensor lights, obviously, and you've certainly deployed game cams and stuff so far. And But but I, what I found so interesting, and, I, and this might have been the last time I had a chance to come up and visit with you guys, is that um, you were describing the places where your daughter had seen one and where, where this or that had happened, and it's always just out of reach of the motion sensors. Like they have the place pinned down. They have it nailed where if they move there, a light goes on. But if they stay here, a light does not. Yeah. So obviously they're tripping it when I put up a new motion sensitive uh, light or sensor, they're tripping it and we're not seeing it, you know, because we're not up all night staring out every window in every direction. So it just has to go off once and they know, oh, I can't walk past this point. And I'm sure they're really fast learners just like we are, you know, don't touch the stove when it's hot. But so they get to a certain distance from a certain side of the house and a light comes on, they just stop just short of that. So it's the way that I have them kind of set up. I just have them set up in blind spots where I don't want something lurking. I don't really have the whole area covered. I just want to know that if I go out to the garage, if that light isn't on, something is not lurking just around the corner and I don't have to worry about it. (laughs) So I do it mostly for my own mental health. I'm not doing it to really keep them away. I just want to know if something's there. And and I had found some big tracks when we came back from a trip to Southern California to go to Disneyland. I'd seen big tracks in the tall grass on an, another side of the property be, between the workshop and the garage. And I was like, how the heck did it walk there and not set off these motion lights? So I waited until evening with my wife and then I traced the path that the things were and it went right in between where the two sensors did not overlap. So it was able to come up really close and stand right behind the, the tank. And I had the feeling that I was being watched when we were undoing our luggage. And the next morning is when I found the marks. And when I stood there right where the track stopped, it, you could just see a sliver of exactly where I was standing at the back of the car unloading the suitcases out of the car that night prior. Now you've pulled you've pulled a couple of footprints too. I mean, I know, I know most of your property is like tall grass and places that just you, you can see where something moved through, but you wouldn't be able to pull any footprints proper. Um, but you have actually pulled at least one cast out of there. Yeah, I have two casts, and the second one was just by your urging. Uh, my wife was like, "Oh, it isn't that great. I wouldn't bother casting it, but you you got me to do it." But I used old plaster, and it took you know like two months for it to cure, and it broken to five pieces when I pulled it out, but I'm still coming up to fix it. Don't worry about that. (laughs) But the first one was really interesting. Um, my wife had seen a kind of a large shadow, um, out the the windows at night because the the background light was more scattered and just dark gray. And there was this like rather large black shadow. And every time she'd turn her head and look that way, it seemed to like get lower and dip out of the way. So when she was watering that area the next day, um, or a couple days later, actually, she noticed an impression. She called me over there, and we had just put heavy peat moss and, and soil in that garden bed. So it had pushed it down really good, but it also was starting to spring back up. So I cast that. It's a gigantic cast, but it came out really good. And I, Meldrum actually could see all kinds of morphology in it that I couldn't see, and he was quite taken with it. So it got the thumbs up from Jeff. I felt good about it. I'm glad I cast it, you know, so I have at least one tangible good thing. How big is it? Uh, it's almost exactly the size as the track at Bluff Creek. So it was at like 16 something. So that was the nighttime one, the one that was uh, seven foot roughly. Yeah, I forgot about that one in the garden that broke too. That was just recently. That was like last year, wasn't it? Yeah. And you had that cool handprint too. Oh, on the on the steel roof, yeah. Yeah, and there's a display. Uh, you were kind enough to let us use photographs of that for a display here in the North American Bigfoot Center. So anybody who's been through the museum has actually seen a photograph of a handprint on top of Michael's roof in the in the dust. Um, tell us about what happened then. Well, that was kind of interesting. Um, the whole front of our house is all glass, you know, because it's the big expansive view, you know, off the hillside. And there's one spot where there 
isn't glass and it's about six to seven feet wide. And if you were to stand in that spot and just lean over slightly, you could see in through the big view windows and see into my office where I sit at my computer. So I was at my computer late, late one night and just the house started thumping like somebody was stomping their feet coming closer to the office. And I thought I had upset my wife by having my sound too loud. So I was like, oh, I'll turn it down. I kind of got up and looked and she wasn't there. And I was like, hold it. And I went and checked in the bedroom and she's sound asleep. And I'm like, if that wasn't in the house, where was it? And But I knew what direction it came from. And it was coming from that one spot where there is no window. So went to bed. And then I told my wife in the morning, I th- said, I think something was thumping on the house. It might have been on the roof. So we went outside and we looked up and boom, there was a handprint. Like it was just boom, boom, boom. You know, it was several strikes. It wasn't just one, but there's one good handprint out of it. And when I did the measurements, um, the, the shoulder socket for something to move its arm laterally and then um, place the hand at that point on the, the roof, the shoulder socket would have to be almost eight feet off the ground. Yeah, when, when I was there, I got up on a ladder, and with your help, we measured this and um, and uh, filmed some of it too. And um, I think the hand, if I remember, it was over eleven feet off the ground. Yeah, I I couldn't even come close to touching the gutter below it on my tippy toes, and I'm six foot three. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. And one of the most interesting things about it, besides uh, handprints are rad, but um, I was there two years after it happened, and you could still see it. Despite the rain, the snow, the pollen, the sun, the everything, you could still see it. Like I had to get down and kind of use the sun and get reflections off the, off the metal roof there, but you could still see the thing. It had been two years. Yeah, these uh, green steel roofs out here in the Pacific Northwest, they they just collect this light yellow pollen all the time. And so whatever it was hit the roof, it lifted a layer of pollen or several layers of pollen off. So it was like a negative impression, you know. So as more pollen is added every season, it still has less pollen where the hand was than the roof around it. So it was still visible for for years. I think I can just barely see it now, but it's been a long time. It's been years and years now. I have to assume that's because of the oiliness of their skin or something. Uh, maybe it's that, uh, the, the, that, um, was it the sebum? I think it's called the, 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 the goo that coats all of us on our skin. I think that's what the, the name of it is. Yeah. Doug Hitchcock's into that. Yeah. Yeah. He called it the Alba Vernix or he, he made up a new term for it, but it's basically, I think it's called sebum if I remember right. Uh, but yeah, so these things just like us, they're coated with it, but they're from from what I understand, from very close encountered witnesses, um, are very much oilier than we are as a species, I guess. But I don't know. I don't know. But it was fascinating to see. I'll tell you that. Yeah, and I, I told everybody about it, but nobody came out to look at it. You know, it was just the Olympic Project had kind of moved on to those awesome beds that they had found out there. So, they, you know, everybody was in different directions. But I did tell people, but nobody came to – you were the first person to come look at it, and that was several years after it had happened. Well, I think I heard about it like a few months after it happened. I just assumed that it wasn't there anymore. <laughs> you know, I had no idea. Yeah, because why would it be there for – and then I remember talking to you about it and I said, no, it's still there. And I'm thinking, how could it be there? But it was. Yeah, I was just as surprised how long it lasted. It's lasted longer than footprints up on the roof, walking up the valley of the roof when people installed the solar panels. Those haven't lasted as long as this handprint. You know, um, uh, we've, we filmed on, or you helped me film a little bit for uh, Finding Bigfoot when we were up filming in Washington. And um, we found something real interesting on on that that trail that you pointed me towards. Like, And you had never walked it, if I remember right, or if you didn't walk it the, the full extent, uh, an abandoned logging road not far from your property. And you told me, I think they use this. Um, but you weren't sure about that. And lo and behold, when we walked out there, I found something very unusual um, nothing that you can take to the bank, but that's kind of how Bigfoot's roll. Um, what, what it was, and I, I think I made a big deal about this on the show, but it's been so long and, and we did so many episodes, I can't honestly remember now. Um, but that that branch that came out, it was a cedar branch, and the, 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 the final, what, 18 inches of it or something was broken off, pulled upwards, broken off, and snapped into a V shape, and then hung over the same branch it was broken off from. Do you remember finding that? Oh, I was with you when you found it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You remember finding that, right? That was weird, wasn't it? That's what Powell finds. Tom Powell finds that. They break, break out the branch and bend it into a hook and hook it over another branch. 
Yeah, he has something similar going on in his property sometimes. I've seen what he uh, pointed out, but I've never actually seen it in person before until your property. And, and you had not walked that road, right? No, I hadn't been up there in a couple of years. And the last time I'd been on that little spur, we had done a walk with the Olympic Project. It was David Ellis and Derek Randalls and his youngest son had all come out. And David even had uh, one of his just gigantic dogs with him. And as we, when we were going to walk up to this little spur, and it's totally cut off. Like you have to walk, you have to bus brush for 100, 150 yards just to get to it. And it doesn't connect with anything else. It's just like a very, very isolated little seg- segment. It's beautiful, though. It's absolutely beautiful when you get to it because it's all laid with uh, like a, a bed of ferns and daisies in the spring. And then like the cathedral-like arches of trees growing up on each side of it as it gently goes up slope you know, in curves. It's just beautiful. Um, and when we had done that walk with the Olympic Project, when the first person had set foot off my driveway to start heading for that, there was one super loud knock, like a classic baseball bat strike. And everybody looked at each other with their mouths open, like, oh my gosh, like something just, and it was so close. It was within a hundred yards. And it was very close to where I had my sighting, where that sound came from. And then when we had done the walk and completed it and came back, when the last person stepped back onto the driveway from the exact same spot, we heard the one knock, there was two knocks. It's like, okay, so one means people are coming and two means all clear. Like, I, I don't know what else it could possibly mean, but it was a pretty good guess. Now, speaking of knocks, you you actually uh, have supplied us with a piece of audio that we can play in the podcast here of you possibly interacting with one of these things. Tell us about this clip that we're going to listen to in just a minute. Yeah, that was another totally unexpected thing. I was just, it was uh, in the summer and the cats, you know, are, it's just to keep them safe. We have like a roll around kennel so we can put them out, you know, and give them on the view side of the house and let them experience a different area, you know, from their, their regular living area. And I was scrubbing it out with this big, long nylon brush and I heard something and I was like, hmm. And I picked the brush up and I whacked it on the tree to see if I could recreate the sound. And it did. It made a really good wood knock sound. And then I got a response right back. And I was like, oh my God. And I fished my phone out of my pocket and did one of those little memo recordings. And what I sent you was the result of uh, what I got from the recording. It was just a bunch of exchanges back and forth. And whatever it was, was coming more farther and farther uphill. It wasn't static. It was getting closer and louder. So it's moving. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's take a listen to that right now. Response. A response. That sounds pretty squatchy. Yeah, I, th- I think it sounds real interesting, right? Like uh, um, uh, Michael doesn't knock, the thing answers, it's back and forth, it's cool. So how often does uh, something like that happen where you do a noise and, and, and one of these things answers back in some sort of way? Whether it's a knock or a call or a car door slam or you guys show up at home or whatever. Well, for me, that was the only time. Generally, if I'm making any noise, I'm on my drums just, you know, flailing away. Uh, my wife though, she's gone outside and I have a particular whistle I do to get her attention. Like when we're in a store, like at Costco, I can do this whistle and she recognizes it as being my whistle to her from a great distance. And she's gone outside sometimes and heard my whistle, like to beckon her somewhere. And she starts walking and realizing, hold it, he's not there. And she knows I'm in the house. She just left me like, okay, why, what, what is imitating his whistle? And like, it's really, that really frightens her. Yeah. That's a little creepy. That's very a uh, horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I do it, 
you know, I do it all the time, so it would know that that's my whistle. Yeah, it reminds me of that uh, the scary short story where some some woman's mother is calling her down to the kitchen and she passes a closet and, and, the, and mother's voice comes from the closet saying, I heard it too. Don't go. Oh. <laughs> you know, like one of those things. That's what it reminds me of. But then again, I probably – I'm hanging out with my wife too much watching horror movies. So maybe that's the deal. <laughs> we did have um, one kind of event happen that had – a multitude of people out because everybody who's come to the property has had something happen. If you sleep outside, you're going to have something happen. It happened with Bobo. Paul Graves had a really crazy story happen. Rich Germo, like, you know, if you, you come down and sleep where they're known to move, you're, they're going to encounter you. It seems, you know, really good odds, but we had uh, Connie Willis from coast to coast uh, come by with Ron Moorhead and we had some other people over. Uh, we were just doing a bonfire, and we'd cook salmon that night. And we're all around the bonfire on the side of the house that's nearest the creek. And people are just kind of quietly talking after a, we'd been outside for a couple hours. And I hear something moving in the darkness behind, directly behind Ron. So it's downslope right where the chicken coop is. And something is moving right there. And I look at Ron, and he nods his head, and he points right through his own body, like he hears, he's pointing right at it. And he says, yeah, he's saying, yeah, he hears it too. And I'm like, yep. And not even 10 seconds after that, it was just the sound of like two river rocks being clacked together, come from right where we heard it clack. And then another clack on the far side of the house where the cars are parked. And then a rock comes sailing up from the creek bed and struck the side of the house and bounced to a stop right next to the fire pit, right in the middle of all of us. And there was like eight adults and two kids out there. So that was a Connie Willis experience that. And then she refused to sleep outside that night. She was supposed to sleep in a tent down where uh, Paul Graves had his, his encounter and where Boba was too. And she was like, nope, that's it. She's sleeping in the house. <laughs> fun and games until it's real, right? She's not the bravest. Well, I'm not either. I mean, I still have yet to sleep outside. I won't do it. Have you had any uh, gifting um, or have they left things for you or your wife or anything like that before? We tried to engage in that at the urging of uh, David and and some of the others from the Olympic Project to see if there, we could get interaction more on a direct level. We left out bags of apples, bags of um, pipe tobacco, you know, just seeing if there's anything that they'd be interested in. And they've never taken anything from us. And uh, once in a while, there will be a really weird alabaster-looking stone just show up out of nowhere placed on a, a wall. But, you know, I don't know where it came from. But if if that could be considered a gift possibility, maybe. Well, I mean, I, I, I think it is. I mean, they don't give good gifts. Well, I mean, just saying I don't know where it really came from. I mean, it wasn't there the, the day prior. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, look, there's a PS5 on the on the wall. Cool. So finally, the Bigfoots are giving me something good instead of like a, a dead chicken or something or a feather. <laughs> well, one of the most interesting ones was uh, Paul Graves slept in the back of my pickup truck, uh, exactly where Bobo slept, where and where Bobo slept was right where our worker had stood when he saw it just 30 feet away. I had pulled my truck down there and backed up and Paul slept in the bed of the truck. And according to Paul, when after he had got all settled in and got his recorder started, he heard something taking like four or five steps coming up from the creek, take four or five steps and do, do a simple whistle. And the whistle he did was the whistle I do when I'm calling my wife. It's just just a real simple little whistle like that. And he's like, oh, what's that? And he heard it take four or five more big steps and then the whistle. And once it was high enough on the slope above him that it could see into the bed of the truck and see him, he said he Paul just suddenly fell asleep. And it was inexplicable to him. And we have the recording of him suddenly sawing logs right after all these whistles. So it's kind of funny. He just immediately went out. And in the morning, he got up and he was really excited about his recording, but we weren't awake at the main house yet. So he gets up out of his sleeping bag and all his change and everything fell out of his pockets. And he went for a walk and came back and rolled up his, his pack and, um, and unbeknownst to me had put uh, gifted a bunch of food directly on the opposite side of the property during that walk. He had left some broccoli and different things out just to see if anything would get taken. And even a little um, ocarina, little plastic ocarina toy. Uh, and so he'd asked me to go photograph those items every day 
and see if anything changed, anything was missing. And after two weeks of walking to the same spot and photographing this forum, something showed up that wasn't there before. And I have the pictures for two weeks leading up. And then all of a sudden there's a purple Duncan guitar pick at the base of the stump where he left everything. I took a picture of it and brought it up to the house. And I I called Paul up and I said, do you use a purple guitar pick? He goes, oh yeah, I've been using that for 40 years. And I go, well, one just showed up at the stump and he's, you know, it was shocking because it, it had fallen out of his change in his pocket where his sleeping bag was when he got up in the morning. But when he packed all his stuff, it was missing out of his pile of change. So, and then it shows up two weeks later where he had left food. I've heard similar reports. That makes sense to me, at least. I mean, there could be a squirrel that stole it and it just happened to bring it over there. But these two locations are at least 200 yards apart and 100 feet in elevation difference. I have something in my head from the early days of you living there. Something about a pear tree? Oh, when we had planted all our fruit, we had planted uh, pears, peaches, um, apples, cherries. We had planted all kinds of different fruit trees the first year we moved up. And they're still not really producing so hot. It's not the best soil on this hill. But yeah, we we had uh, gone outside and said, what is that? Something at the base of one of the trees. And it was a rabbit with the head pulled off of it. There we go. That's what I remember. Yeah, we had deer fencing really tight in a circle around it, and it was tipped at an angle. So even if you had popped the head off of a rabbit and just tried to drop it down the, this narrow circle of deer fencing, it wouldn't hit the ground. It would have fallen into the wire at an angle. So if you had a really long, like five-foot-long arm, you could place it right at the base of the tree. But yeah, that was really odd. Yeah, so a headless rabbit appeared overnight in the deer fencing around one of your baby trees. Yeah, and it was the only tree that turned out to not produce any fruit and died. <laughs> it was kind of funny. Somebody suggested, well, rabbits are a symbol of fertility. And maybe it was saying you needed some fertilizer on that tree. But uh, Rich Germo has some forensics experience. He'd come over and examined it. And he found some a couple of interesting things. One, there was no claw marks or bite marks or tooth marks. that was completely unmolested, the body of it except for the missing head and the, uh, the throat and the esophagus, everything was gone too. Like the head had been pulled off and the stomach was right at the opening of where the neck was. So the stomach had been, you know, almost left the body as the head was pulled off. So like, as opposed to if something had just bitten the head off, the stomach really would have been still deep in the abdomen, not right up at the top of the neck hole. Yeah. Again, they don't give good gifts. No. <laughs> So, yeah, that was that was kind of creepy. And then when I was talking to a neighbor just a couple of days after that, I wasn't talking about what was going on. We were just talking about neighbor stuff going on on the hill. And we were idling the car at a certain point in the driveway. And the very next morning, right where I had had the car idling for a couple hours while talking to the neighbor, there was another dead rabbit right there, <laughs> right in the middle of the concrete, just beyond where our gate is. Have you broached this subject with your neighbors at all? Uh, I tried, um, that when our worker had first had his sighting December 23rd, we were already planning on making big batches of Toll House cookies because we were the new folks on the hill and giving them to everybody for Christmas. So when we brought them to the house that's directly below our house, um, retired anesthesiologist lived there and just out of the blue, he mentions, yeah, my dog Molly has been really barking up a storm the last couple of days. Something's been walking up the creek. You know, I don't know if an elk or whatever. And I, and I oh, here's my, my end. I go, no, I my worker saw what it was. I can tell you what it was. And he goes, oh, yeah, what was it? I go, it was a Bigfoot. And he didn't even react. He just goes, hey, did you see the new tile I put down over here? And just changed the subject. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay. And then that's what his, and his brother is the one who, built our home and lived here until he sold it to us. He came and visited, you know, that Easter or something. It was another holiday. And when we had brought it up with him, he had just, he, he confessed everything he knew, but he said that his, his daughter and his brother weren't so forthcoming or even interested in what he even had going on at the property before they left. So, but from what I understand, they had yells and screaming and rocks thrown against the, the uh, roof of the house and, even uh, dents in the car, like just not that very friendly kind of stuff. 
I know you've been concerned for your family and, and I'll say fearful in that sort of way, but have, have they really given you much reason to think that you're in any danger whatsoever? Is it just some, something that you live with, like having a you know, deer on the property or something? Yeah, I don't, I don't feel in danger anymore. Um, I mean, when, when something brand new out of the blue, you know, I born and raised in San Diego, you know, I, I, I don't know the woods. So having never seen a bear, you know, live in the woods to all of a sudden, you know, people are seeing Bigfoot all around my house was a shock to the system to say the least. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's just something I've kind of grown into and I've just kind of accepted. Like I still, I could walk outside now and I'm not too scared. I'm aware I might, my, my my senses are up and being around this kind of level of activity, you know, you can't be on guard all the time. So like I said, when something happens, it still catches you off guard. You're still shocked. Like, Oh, that just happened. You know, it's like, you're never really prepared. Like I could walk around with my camera ready to take a picture. And I still don't think that I'd get a picture. Well, so many people do spend time. There's a few second delay between what they see and their processing of what they saw. Um, even, even you, you, you know, these things are there. Um, and you thought it was a dude in a ghillie suit. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I thought so for a good 10, 15 seconds, but it took me to dawn on me that, no, that was too big. So you, you've been around these things for what, 10, 11 years now in, in general, just as, as kind of a closing thought here, as we wrap up the podcast, um, what do you think these things are? What do you think's going on? What, what is this whole Bigfoot thing? Like What's your take on it now that you've lived with it for a decade? I don't think there's anything supernatural about them. I'm not really on board with the woo. Um, other members of my household have kind of disagreed with me on certain things because they've had experiences that I won't talk about because it's their experience. It's not mine. But my experience has just been very real, very tangible, very concrete. You know, finding a footprint, finding a handprint, seeing something move between trees, hearing something make noises or respond to me. Um, so it's, to me, I, I just, I think it's a, it's an unknown biological real entity. And the closest thing I think it could be from what I've seen, uh, through, you know, museum recreations and that great BBC show that showed like, um, Paranthropus and Australopithecines. I think it's Paranthropus. I think that would be a really good guess. And the larger size is probably due to them being in a colder climate. You know, it just matches up with all the descriptions. Now, not to say that they couldn't interbreed with humans somewhere along the way. And, you know, the, the whole kidnapped women and hybrid type thing that Indians have reported for centuries. You know, I, I wouldn't discount that at all. The gene pool might be close enough where, you know, offspring could actually happen. But yeah, I think they're very real. And I, I don't think that these ones mean to do any kind of harm from what I know. Cause if they, they see the, the expanse of what people can do and people with their guns and hunting, I don't think that they would want to invite that on themselves. So I think that might explain the reticence and accepting gifts or stealing things off your property, anything that would make them really be a problem. What have they stolen off of your property? Nothing. Nothing. Good. Yeah. They won't take anything. I think there's maybe a difference between the Sasquatch that will take stuff, they're, they're more of the rural, you know, more in the wilds, you know, from a campsite where people aren't a regular thing versus ones that live in proximity to where people live all the time. Like they don't want to rock the boat, you know, and interfere and take things from your property. But we, I mean, uh, well, we've had fruit stripped off of all the trees overnight too. Well, you, you left it out for them to be fair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you really wanted it, it wouldn't have been on a tree, you know? Yeah, you would have brought it inside like everything else that you really want. <laughs> and just really watching those pears like, oh, they're going to be ready tomorrow. Tomorrow we're picking the pears and we wake up and there's not even a pit left on the ground. It's like, oh, <laughs> all gone. hundred pears. I've heard that story dozens of times. We were going to pick it. It was just ready to pick it. And we came out in the morning and there was all gone. There was no debris at the bottom. There wasn't like half eaten ones or like deer or bear, no broken branches, just pick clean. Oh, and at the edge of the, the the fruit tree area, one of the times we were looking down, admiring the view and the, the, the fruit trees as they were growing up in the spring, um, this was after my daughter had seen Monkey Man. Um, we, we had turned turned away from the railing and we're walking back into the house, and she just casually says, Bigfoot was watching us. And I said, what? And I immediately took two steps back towards you know the edge, and I'm like, where, where? And she pointed it was over there. You know, she was like four years old. 
And I go, show me, show me how. And she, she was standing like this and she turned her back to me and stretched out her left arm slightly up just a little bit, but straight out and then dipped her head down and peeked at me underneath her, her left arm. And I just got the willies because a couple of years prior, uh, Dr. Meldrum had shown an anthropology film uh, done in Canada in the 1920s documenting uh, First Nation dances uh, concerning the Sasquatch. And they, they do this dance where the thing is approaching you backwards, peeking under its arms so that you can't see a whole face looking at you because humans are keyed in to see faces like all those nuts with pareidolia so bad. So they, they know to break up their face and just give just look at you with one eye and not show you any other features of the face, I guess. And it just that really gave me the willies. <laughs> it was standing right there in front of all three of you, and she's the only one, uh, the eyes of a child that had that could actually see it. Very, very interesting. Michael, thank you so much for joining Bobo and I on uh, Bigfoot and Beyond here. Um, we've been talking about having you on for a long, long time, but we know you're a guy you know, that you enjoy your privacy and all that sort of stuff. But thank you so much for, um, for, for sharing your experiences with all of our listeners and also, honestly, for being just a, a good friend. Just love you so much. And I'm so appreciative of having you in my life. So thank you. Yeah. Love you guys both. Cool. Say hi to the ladies. I will. Send our love, please. Thank you so much. All right, Bobes, finally had him on. We've been talking about it for, for as long as we've had the podcast, really, to try to get this guy on here. He's such interesting firsthand direct knowledge of what happens when you live where a Bigfoot happens to live, too. Dude, that was some great squatching up there. They were so generous with their house, like property, you know, letting us stay there. It was like, go to a five-star resort. <laughs> they they, will, they do have a very, very nice house, and it's a lovely family and great people. Just You know, I mean, um, I, I basically came for the Bigfoot and stayed for the friends. You exactly. Know? Yeah, love both those. Love, the entire family, all three of them are just wonderful. Yep. So until next week, folks, keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 